but it's the same. So the reading this evening is from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 18 and 28 and 29. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water well enough to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And I've gone on too far, sorry. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I quite like this passage, so it's fine. <laughs> Excellent. So this morning we looked at this very same passage we looked at this idea that we can be present and miss what's going on for those of you who weren't here I'll recap briefly those of you who were don't worry I'm not going to go into the whole thing but we see in this little exchange that Jesus is there Jesus is present in this woman's life he has spent this time by the well and she's come along and ask that question, are we present in the lives of those around us? We may want them to meet with Jesus, but are we actually there for them to see him through us? And then that second thing we touched on 
this idea that God might be doing something that we aren't aware of. The disciples' blessing came back to find Jesus at a well with a woman, a Samaritan woman at that, and yet they were more worried about having food. I get the need for food, but they missed what God was doing. And it's an amazing passage for us that all of that's happening. All of that's going on, and I want us to look at it from a slightly different angle. The first thing I want to highlight is just how good Jesus was at engaging people. When we were away on the church weekend, we talked about his parables, the idea of using stories, things people related to. Here, we see him just use what's in front of him. Talks about water, a well, a lack of bucket. All of these things Jesus just allows to carve and create an opportunity to share. I feel like he's one of those characters that you could put in any place, any situation, and he would have a way of saying something profound. I try and do that. Often it sounds fairly stupid and isn't all that intelligent. But we see here that Jesus speaks on terms and in a way that this woman needs to hear it. I said that at the beginning because it becomes very important that Jesus begins to create an environment that the woman is comfortable in. It would be very easy for him to steamroll her in, to start at the end and be like, look, your life's a mess. You are in a bad way, love. He could have started there. Sometimes I think as Christians we feel like that's where we get the right to begin because we're good and everyone else is bad. Here we see Jesus setting a tone that I believe is how we are called to live. And it begins by making this woman incredibly comfortable, talking about things that are just around them. Not afraid to deal with what's in front of him. We said this morning that Jesus shouldn't be talking to a woman in the context of the time. He shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan in the context of the time. So talking to a Samaritan that's a woman is like a huge no-no. And yet he does that. And we don't ever get any inclination of Jesus being like, if only it was a guy here, this would have been so much easier. We don't see him being annoyed that it's just one woman. And he's thinking, why is there not a crowd of people to listen to me? What we see is Jesus has very deliberately set about this encounter and in doing so he steps right into the middle of this lady's life and right into the very middle of a culture and an understanding of how the world works and he has one intention and that is to flip the whole thing on its head we're going to look at two elements this evening the first one is this and it's a question for us what do you need what do you need it seems like a very simple question. Uh, we're very good at this. For some of you, it might be milk. Some of you might think, you know what, I definitely need milk for cereal in the morning. Hope spa's still open when Tim finishes. Some of you may be thinking right now, I definitely need to check I've got a lift to work on Tuesday because the car's in the garage. For myself, and I can only but apologize for the fact that I'm uh, wearing a t-shirt that has an element of Evie's uh, lunch on it, is um, my parents were over this afternoon and uh, we've had a leak for a while. I was sharing this at the start. We have a leak. Uh, we thought it was the dishwasher. Uh, so we've learned to hand wash again, which is like a whole revelation to me. And I've got very soft hands and it's all good. So we took everything apart. And my dad is way more practical than me. And he sat there and we were like, dishwasher does not seem to be leaking. Now, my dad drew a very interesting conclusion. He decided it must be coming from the bathroom, which is in a different room to the kitchen for those of you who have houses like this. But we ran the washing machine to check. It turns out that there is a leak coming from behind our sink 
that is from the washing machine. So um, my afternoon's been spent on my hands and knees trying to work out how to stop the flood of water every time I wash clothes. Now, I was okay with hand washing like cups, but I'm less okay with hand washing clothes. So, um, but that's my thing. And it is very good of God to give me that illustration. Practically, what I need is a solution to that. And that's what we do as humanity. We've become very good at thinking, what do I need? And just going to the practical. We've grown up in a society that tells us, and we have sayings. So, so long as we can put food on the table, if we can put food on the table, be okay. Practical need. It's looking at something that's practical and it's finding that solution. Another one. Settle down. Just want to want to meet a nice person. Settle down. We're looking at that practical. It's what has been drummed into us. We have saying after saying, and what it's created is an incredibly practical-minded humankind. We look at a situation and we see a need, and we can find a way of resolving that need. And what we see here is this lady does exactly the same thing. So we might think it's a 21st century issue with the internet and all the other things that we have the wonders of, that maybe it's just us. Maybe we are the people who, you know, I've got no idea how to change certain elements in my house, but if I look on YouTube, sorted. I'll ring my dad and he'll still come and fix it. But the problem is just as alive when Jesus was here as it is for us. We read in verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep, practical. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the woman's reply. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus says to her, whoever drinks this water will never thirst again. The woman's response is, give me that water so that I don't have to take the effort of getting to the well every day. Jesus is talking about a very big picture here and this lady has instantly transferred it into the practical in front of her. And with that in mind, I want to ask you this question. What has God been saying to you recently? What's God been saying to you? Because I'm beginning to become more and more aware that what God says isn't always what I hear. Sometimes what God says sounds like a really good idea. But what God was actually saying was, I want something to change in the way you are. I want you to implement something. I want you to do something. The woman heard what Jesus had to say, but it wasn't what Jesus was saying. I want to give an example. I mentioned it this morning that I can get quite caught up in my work and forget just to spend time with God. It's something that's very, I'm very passionate about. I believe in prayer immensely. And so some people will know this journey that I've been on. Um, really felt like kind of about a year ago, God was putting prayer right at the front of my mind. And so I did what every good pastor should do. I worked out how we as a church can put on more prayer events. And we did. And they were good. 
And I was making sure that we were trying to implement more prayer time. I know that me and Mark talked and we tried to make sure there was more prayer within the services. It became a very practical execution. And it was over a course of time that I realized that God was actually saying, Tim, I want you, individual, to spend more time with me. I want you, the individual, to spend more time in relationship with me. Now, there is nothing wrong with the fact that we put on more prayer events as a church. But what I heard from God was not what he was saying. He was saying, I need relationship with you, Tim. I want to deepen that link between us. And the way that's going to happen is through that communication, through prayer. And what I heard God saying was, Tim, prayer would be a great event for this church. And I missed it. And we did some great things. But I missed out on that deepening of relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here with this lady. He's saying to her, I want it to be deeper. I want it to mean more. But she's picking up that surface level. She's picking up what's around her, what she can see. So I ask you again, what is God saying to you? Because it may be far deeper than you've given it credit for. Far more profound than maybe you thought it was. In the context of our story, Jesus is simply using thirst as an example of that need humanity has for a saviour, for that relationship with God, that fullness of life that only he can bring. The woman by the well heard about water. But as I spent time in this passage and I've come to fall in love with it, there is so much more in here than I ever gave it credit for. I'm beginning to realise that I do not want to miss what God has for me because I'm so concerned about what it looks like in the moment. I don't want to get so caught up in what I can see directly in front of me that I miss the big picture of what God is doing in my life. What is it he's saying to you? What are you hearing and what is God really saying? To the woman, he was talking about water and she heard about water. What he was really talking about was salvation, was life-changing And that leads perfectly into this second point. Jesus speaks words that had the power to hurt or the power to heal. Jesus speaks some incredibly incredibly profound words that have the power to hurt or to heal. Jesus asks the question, Go and get your husband. She replies, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. We have to ask ourselves a question here. Is Jesus being cruel? Is Jesus just being nasty? Is Jesus deliberately trying to humiliate her? Is he trying to make a spectacle of the moment? I challenge that that's not true. I think what we see is this. Jesus is saying to her this. I know you. I know everything about you. And it changes nothing. Don't think that I've been fooled and I've come to you and I've said all this amazing stuff about who you are and what God can do for you and oh, now you've had five husbands, you're done with. I'm sorry, that disqualifies you. That's not what he's doing. I think he's saying, you know what, I know. I knew all of that before you told me. And none of it disqualifies you. Words that have the power to hurt or to heal. In that moment, I believe Jesus begins an incredible journey of healing. 
I'm sure many of you know this, but to make sure I've covered the ground, the woman is collecting water on her own in the heat of the day, which no one did because you don't go out in the heat of the day to collect water because it's the hottest time and you're going to sweat and you're going to need to drink more water and it's just not done. The reason she's doing it is she is an outcast. Society has looked at her and said, you know what, five husbands, we were gracious at two, three was borderline, four was out, and five, you are done. No one is coming with you. No one is giving you a helping hand. You are done. She is collecting on her own because society has decided who she is. They've made their mind up. They've written her off, discarded her. I imagine that when she was in public, people didn't talk to her. So when Jesus speaks those words, words that could hurt or could heal, he is saying to them, sorry, saying to her, you know what? The way the world views you, the way you've come to view yourself, it's not how I view you. It's not who I see when I look at you. I am not judging you by those mistakes, by those circumstances. I still see you and I love you. I love what this does in her life. Sometimes I think we get scared in church to be too honest. Gently, gently, don't call people out. Like I said, it was important when we began this. Jesus didn't fly in and tell her all the things she'd done wrong. Instead, he established a conversation with her. But he wasn't afraid to challenge her. How does challenge outwork itself in someone's life when it's done in love? Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Challenge in love reveals who Jesus is. Reveals the heart of God to people. That's why it's crucial that it's done in relationship. That it's done through love. Her response is to share the good news. And this, for me, is the most important part of this whole story. Please don't think I'm devaluing what I said this morning or anything I've said up to this point. But for me, this is some of the most important message that we read. This woman responds by sharing the good news. And what does she use to share the good news? Her scars. She uses the very scars that defined how the world saw her as her way of revealing who Jesus was to her. I think that's one of the most beautiful things we see in the gospel. These scars were once wounds. They were open wounds. They were multiple husbands. They were ugly divorces. They were being shunned by society. Those wounds looked a lot like being the only person at the well in the hottest part of the day. They defined her. Jesus' words came and they brought healing to those wounds. And I love this, and please hear this fact. Jesus' words came, and they brought healing to the wounds, but they left a scar. I am not for a gospel that tells you that when you become a Christian, everything is rosy, and all the bad times will stop, and everything is washed like perfect, and life is lovely, and it's like there's flowers popping up. That's not the gospel I read. What I read is a God who says, you know what, I will bring healing and I will use the scars of your experiences to show my goodness. I will use the scars of your experiences to show my love. 
The scars that left her collecting water in the heat of the day became the scars that shared the gospel. I think that's one of the most amazing pictures we see. The scars that isolated her from society. Can you imagine? This woman has gone out that day. The sun has come up. Everyone else has gone inside and she's gone to the well. This is an ordinary day for her. Carrying the burden and the weight of the knowledge that everyone knows she's gone. No one's missing her. She has this interaction and she's called out on this element of her life. The thing that shames her, the thing that embarrasses her, the thing that leaves her there on her own. And the words of Jesus and the word that his spirit did in her sent her back into the society that rejected her to say, you know what, look at me. Everything I've done wrong, he said, but he did it in a way that means I know that this is the Messiah. I think that's amazing. I think it's one of the most beautiful imagery, parts of imagery we see in the Gospels. She was out there because of her shame and she ran back in with it as her joy. Because Jesus brought healing. Jesus' words created a scar that she wore as an example of how his forgiveness works, of how his love works. So I want to ask a difficult question. What are the hurts that you hold back? What are the things that you hold on to? Maybe they're your shames. You don't even let Jesus in. You don't talk about them. You don't really want to acknowledge them. They discount you. They leave you collecting water in the heat of the day. For each of us, they're different. Each of us, they cut differently. They hurt differently. They manifest differently. But when we hold them back from Jesus, we hold them back from true healing. And consider it this way. Not only do we hold them back from true healing, we hold them back from becoming a message of love, of grace, and of forgiveness. Because when we give them to Jesus, that's what he does. That's what he does. He brings healing. He brings completeness. And you have no idea what your scars could be a message to someone else. You have no idea the journey that you've been on, the battles that you've fought, the way that through Jesus they can become a story of hope to others. Please don't lose the context of this woman's life. She was an outcast. Nobody special. Jesus knew everything about her. His love, his forgiveness, his grace brought healing, but it did not take away the scars. Instead, it used them. And it said, you know what? To the rest of the village, through this woman, what I'm saying is no matter what you've done and where you've been, how you've treated this very lady, I will love you and accept you if you come to me. So much so that the village encourages him to stay, as we read this morning. And many believed. How did that begin? An outcast at a well on her own shunned by a society that would hold her responsible for bringing revival. Please hear this. Do not discredit yourself for the journey you've been on. Do not discredit yourself for the mistakes you've made, the wounds that you carry. Instead, please bring them to Jesus. Let his words heal them. And then will you be willing to use those scars to let others know of his goodness 
and his love.